Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And a little bit of business before we get started on this week's episode. <laughs> are we going to do this whole thing in a lot of quick? <laughs> I don't know. Uh... My head hurts, so I'm not quite 100% normal. Uh, but I'm never 100% normal, and that's what makes me fun. You were thinking it, or I was thinking it, and then <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I was thinking it, too, so you got it right the first time as well. And we want to say a special thank you to Sherry, who bought us some coffees last week. Thank you, Sherry. Oh, heck yeah. You rock. You're awesome. All, you sponsored all the research this weekend. Yes. Or this week. If you've got any paranormal or spooky stories, be sure to send them our way. Yeah. You can record yourself reading them. Yeah. Or you can just submit the story and one of us will read them. Yeah. Can't guarantee what voice we'll use, but if you've got a preferred word, preferred pervert. If you've got a pervert voice. <laughs> if you've got a preferred voice for one of us to use, let us know. I'll use my pervert voice. <laughs> <laughs> Top, off topic, but it's in my head right now. I was listening to a podcast, and he mentioned the museum curator. My D&D character. <laughs> just, oh, I'm just the old museum curator. <laughs> Roll the 20. <laughs> he believed you. Holy shit. It's worked twice now. <laughs> And I'm not even a rogue. Anyway, let's get to this week's episode. Well, and actually, before we get to this week's episode, promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Hey there, Luxa here, host of Lux Cult, a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss a variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersection of science, magic, art, and philosophy through the lens of chaos. It's occultism for everyone. Lexicult features interviews with badass authors, artists, and magicians of all walks and experience levels, as well as audiomantic nonsense, cut-up poetry, bibliomancy breaks, and so much more. Don't miss the special two-part episode where Dave and I talk about his path of druidry and go into some of the botany of the plants represented by the Oum alphabet. Also, hear Dave read a guided meditation for the Green Mushroom Project, which is a large-scale group working focused on building connection and regaining ground that you can be a part of. You can hear Lexicall on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in and join us for the ride. You learn a lot from Lexicold. A lot that I didn't know before. So It's a good show. Go check it out. It is a good show. So this week, we're going to stay in Oklahoma. Where are we going, Dave? Well, our home state of Oklahoma is no stranger to strange geographical anomalies, as well as myths and urban legends. Some we've covered in the past are the Dave and Jim Blue Missing Treasure, Kane's Ballroom, the Stone Lion Inn, the Skirvin, where several MB players refused to stay after being molested by unseen entities. <laughs> They really put the titties in the entities. <laughs> <laughs> the Tulsa Hex House. The Will Rogers High School, where author S.E. Hinton was attending when she wrote the book, The Outsiders. 
the close-by center of the universe, and so many others. But this week, we're going to talk about the Beaver Triangle. <laughs> Is that like a lesbian threesome? Yeah, the Beaver hey, Triangle. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Beaver Dunes Park is located in Oklahoma's Panhandle on U.S. Highway 270 in Beaver, Oklahoma. It's situated on 300 acres of sand hills. Beaver Dunes Park sits on what is loving referred to as no man's land or the neutral strip. Here's the thing about beaver. I don't think that there are actually any beaver in Beaver, Oklahoma. Probably not. That's pretty des- deserty area. I can't think of a whole lot of like lakes and ponds and things like that up there. I don't know. I've never been. So I've never been either. Well, but it might surprise you to learn that Beaver County itself is only five hundred and twelve acres, and only about half of it consists of the Sand Hill Recreation Area. Outside of that, there are two campgrounds at the park, a playground, plentiful fishing. Mm-hmm. Hiking, as well as, you know, in the dunes, ATV, dirt bike, and dune buggy riding. So there could be some beaver and beaver. Yeah. I've, I've never been up that way. It's an eight-hour drive from us here. Our kids got to go up that way. Yeah. This last I'm summer. sure there's beaver in beaver, Oklahoma. I'm <laughs> sure there's enough girls up there who don't shave. <laughs> <laughs> enough beaver and beaver? No man's land is right, though. That's uh, If Oklahoma had a hell... I think it would be the panhandle. Yeah. There's nobody up there. There is nothing up there. It's the most extreme of the temperatures. Yeah, the most extreme of the weather, period. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the first snow always always has the first snow. The highest temperatures, the lowest temperatures, and tornado outbreaks like crazy up there. Yeah. I If there was a place in Oklahoma I would never live, it is the panhandle of Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much a lot of the Northwest gets all that weather. but And this area has become known as Oklahoma's Bermuda Triangle, Shaman's Portal in Oklahoma, and Beaver Triangle. And this is due to legends concerning disappearances, sightings of UFOs, men in black encounters, military excavations, and incidents that involve the Spanish explorer Coordinado. You can always tell on these types of episodes how much legend, lore, information, and personal stories we collected in our research, based off of how far back in history we start. One million years ago, (laughs) a shallow inland sea existed in northern Oklahoma. Over time, this sea dissipated and created a formation of sand dunes. This part of Oklahoma began to be settled by humans in the interglacial Holocene epoch over 11,000 years ago. (laughs) The first evidence of habitation dates from the Paleo-Indian around 6,000 years ago. And this is due to artifacts found in abundance at the Nal site, a sand dune blowout in present Cimarron County. A more recent and even permanent habitation has been found, like stone slabs for wall foundations that they thought were used from... 1000 to 1500 CE. Other evidence of early culture is found um, in houses and basket maker caves in the western end of the area. Uh, Several Native American groups use the resources of future Beaver County and the surrounding region as hunting and trading grounds, although they never established any permanent locations. They included the Plains Apache, the Kiowa, the Comanche, and the Cheyenne. The first European explorers to set foot in the area were Spanish explorers. Coronado's expedition first visited the area in 1541 in its search for the seven cities of Cibola. However, it was the French explorers who first claimed the area for a European nation in the 1700s. It was included as part of the United States in the 1803 Louisiana Purchase. Oklahoma was made into Indian Territory, and this is where several indigenous tribes were relocated to, mostly by force, coercion, or trickery. And according to OKHistory.org, no permanent dwellings were made until 1863, 
When Juan and Vicente Baca trailed more than a thousand sheep across the trackless prairie and the wild foothill region from Las Vegas, New Mexico Territory, to the Cimarron Valley near the present site of Kenton, Oklahoma. The herders were soon joined by the Bernal family and the Lewin brothers. At the same time, the co-outlaw gang had established a ranch from which to raid the Santa Fe Trail as it came through to the Cimarron Cutoff. Finally, Colonel William F. Penrose broke up the gang. In, six, in 1865, Kit Carson was ordered to establish a fort on Cold Springs to protect the travelers. However, his efforts were short-lived, and he abandoned the new Fort Nichols in a few months and returned to New Mexico Territory. Uh, the area became known popularly as No Man's Land. However, it was also known as the Neutral Strip or Public Land Strip because of its long, narrow dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Giggity. This came about because of certain decisions made concerning t statehood for the Republic of Texas and the territory of Kansas. When the Republic of Texas sought statehood as a slave state, latitude 36 degrees uh, 30 north became the Texas Panhandle northern border. When Kansas came into the Union as a free state, and used the Compromise of 1850 rules, that state's southern boundary was set at latitude 37 degrees north. Indian Territory was already established with the 100th Meridian as its western boundary, and the New Mexico Territory established the 103 Meridian at its eastern boundary. <clears throat> that makes sense? Yeah. So then there was just like this chunk of land right in the middle. That they were like, I guess it's nobody's. I mean, most of Oklahoma at that point, too, was just considered no man's land. It was in an Indian territory, but there was a lot of no man's land oh, yeah, within yeah. Indian territory. I Actually, where we are right now was considered no man's land. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, that's why Jim and Dave Blue set up their um, <coughs> trade post here. Yeah. Just like, what? Two miles from where we live now. So this is about where they everybody set up for set set up for the land run when they opened it in 1889. Yeah, and everybody went south of the Canadian. Yeah, and yeah. the Canadian River, and that's where that was. But this was like the starting point. But we're not quite there yet, because in the 1870s, cattle trails began crossing No Man's Land. The Fort Bascom Trail began in New Mexico Territory crossed into present western Beaver County, and ended in Abilene, Kansas, at the rail terminal. The Arizona Trail served as a military route over which supplies and equipment came to a military post south of present Boys City, and then on the Fort Nichols and the Santa Fe Trail. In the 1860s, the Wrath Trail was established to freight whiskey, kegs of gunpowder, and provisions to buffalo hunters. Better known than any of these trails was the Tascosa Trail, which served from 1870 to 1887 for trail herds from Texas to Dodge City. Other routes included the Tuttle Trail, the National Trail, and the Liberal, Hardesty, and Hansford Trail. In 1874, Charles Edward, Ed Jones, and his partner, Joe H. Plummer, began a trail to ship hides and later to freight supplies from Tascosa to Dodge City. The Jones and Plummer Trail proved successful, and in 1880, Jim Lane built a combination freight station, general store, hotel, saloon, and livery stable, the beginning of the town of Beaver City. He also moved the post office from the Sand Hills into his store. This building still stands as is listed in the National Register of Historic Places. Other towns that were established in the 1880s were Carrizo, Canton, Optima, Hardesty, and Gate City. None of these four were on their present town sites, and they were moved with the coming of railroads. At the same time, ranches were established, often by cowboys who had hidden 
ridden the cattle trails or hunted buffalo. The Anchor D, which ran upwards of 30,000 head of cattle during its best years, covered 1,500 sections across present Texas County. The 101 Ranch was established in 1877. The Box H and the ZH lay northwest of present Boise City. The CCC Ranch spread over present Texas and Cimarron counties. And the Tainter Ranch lay north of the Gate City area. Tainter. <laughs> the Tainter Ranch is near Beaver by Anchor D. Yeah. <laughs> In the neutral strip. <laughs> The no man's land. We're children. It's okay. In the eastern area, ranches were established by John Beebe, the future father-in-law of Otto Barbie, by William H. Healy, whose ranch was known as the KK Ranch. Now, that's just two Ks. <laughs> by the Hardesty Brothers on the Beaver River, by James K. Hitch, later joined by his brother Charles, and by boss Sebastian Neff. Near Hardesty. So during the early days of cattle ranching and trailing, no formal laws or government existed in no man's land. This gave rise to cattle rustling, staking of land without legal authority, and the coming of those from Kansas and Texas who were running from the law. Since there was no law of any kind or any legal restrictions, there was no recourse from illegal operations. People sometimes referred to the area as belonging to Indian Territory. However, this was not the case, as Indian Territory ended at the 100th Meridian. A vigilante committee arose, taking unto themselves the trial and punishment of whom? Of men whom they saw as unsavory. I am Batman. <laughs> After the committee had held a number of hangings, a group of 50 men decided to try to curtail their actions. It met twice during 1886 to form a claims board and to set up elections in the respective areas in no man's land. An attempt to bring law and order was made by the establishment of Cimarron Territory. With its capital at Beaver City, the territory encompassed all of no man's land. This attempt at government continued until May 2, 1890, when Congress tacked Cimarron County onto Oklahoma Territory and declared it to be the seventh county of Oklahoma Territory, or Beaver County, with Beaver City as the county seat. It again included all the area of no man's land, population 2,674, growing to 3,051 in 1900. It's probably right around the same now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the area continued thus named until the coming of statehood in 1907. Then it was divided into three counties, with the either, either, easternmost remaining Beaver County and keeping Beaver City as its county seat. At that time, New Beaver County counted 13,364 residents. In the 1880s and 1890s, some settlers had come and attempted to farm land in the area, but few of them stayed until the Homestead Act prompted a large influx in 1902 and 1903. Within three years, this new group claimed practically every acreable, every acre of tillable land. Farmers from Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, and Illinois have came to acquire this land. Mennonites from Germany and Russia came too, for religious freedom, as did Catholics and Lutherans from Germany, Bohemia, and other southern European countries. Farming methods and seed quality had improved so that these farmers did not starve out like their predecessors. Their major crop was broom corn, followed by wheat in the 1920s, which 1.2 million bushels Produced. I say, that's also what contributed to the Dust Bowl, was all the tilling and growing and farming up there. Yeah. Yes, with the new machinery and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the, um, I guess, one of the downfalls of the Industrial Revolution and in introducing machinery to. Yeah, I mean, if you've like this. ever seen the show Carnival. 
on HBO or God, I haven't seen that Max. in years. That's where it's based is up there in the Oklahoma Panhandle, Texas Panhandle in Kansas. Yeah. During the Dust Bowl. Yeah, that's where it really hit the hardest, mm-hmm. at least in Oklahoma. Yep. The coming of the Chicago, Rock Island, and Pacific Railway in 1888 to Liberal, Kansas, just at the edge of the state territory line, as well as the coming of other railroad lines, helped draw settlers to the area. In 1912, the Wichita Falls and the Northwestern Railway completed a line from Woodward through Gate to Forgan. And three years later, the Beaver, Mead, and Inglewood Railroad completed a spur from Beaver to Forgan. The line was extended westward in 1925 and 1927 to Hooker. Yes, there's Beaver and Hooker. (laughs) (laughs) And they're connected by a railway line. (laughs) Thus, the county was connected to agricultural markets at last. Rail service ended in 1972. New towns sprang up or old ones were moved to along the rail lines. Uh, some of these new railroad towns were Gate, moved from its original site, Knowles, moved from its original site of Sand City, Mocan, Forgan, Turpin, moved from two other town sites. I actually know somebody from Turpin. And Greeno. Only person I've ever met from the panhandle. <laughs> is it Greeno or is it Greenoff? Greeno, yeah. Yeah. These towns had banks, stores, new schools, lumber yards, and the amenities of the areas from which their inhabitants had come. At one time in the early 1920s, there were 37 town sites and 53 one-room schools in Beaver County alone. The old ranchers called these newcomers pumpkin rollers, although it is doubtful that they really grew many pumpkins. They prospered in dry land farming, raising large wheat crops. Eventually, the decades of using the moldboard plow to break out the dry soil made the surface ready for drought and prevailing winds that came in the 1930s. Although I would say if they could get the water for it, that sandy soil up there would be great melon and pumpkin soil. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what made our dad's land so good because it yeah. used to be it was a creek river bed, bed, river yeah. bed, yeah. So it made huge watermelons. The best freaking watermelons I'd ever had came from dad's <laughs> garden. They were so juicy. And this seven-year drought during this time created the Dust Bowl. But nevertheless, in 1930, 2.9 million bushels of wheat were produced. But prices continued to fall. The population of Beaver County, which had risen to 13,631 in 1910 and to 14,048 in 1920, dropped to 11,452 in 1930 and to 8,648 in 1940. People fled their farms, often after bank foreclosure, to seek employment elsewhere. See, it's one of those things where if the Dust Bowl really didn't affect the crops that much. It's just the price of crops dropped dramatically. Well, I mean, that was the Depression era, so that's when every nobody had any money. Yeah. So nobody was able to pay the prices for anything, so they had to drop prices. I mean, I really feel like we're kind of at that point now in our society. Everything has gotten so damn expensive. None of us can afford it. Yeah. And... Somebody's going to have to break somewhere and lower prices. Yeah. Or else we're going to go straight into a another, another uh, depression. Yeah. The number of farms declined from 2,518 to 1920 to 1,370 in 1950. And the number of farms larger than 500 acres grew by more than 50%. See, I told you the population is not much bigger than that now. (laughs) Well, pretty much what it was, was as the bank was buying up all these farms, other farmers that weren't losing their shirts would just buy up the land and create bigger farms. I mean, that's kind of the nature of it. And that's why even nowadays, especially if you look at the satellite, you'll see these huge fields that 
that have big circles in them that are all like it's like industrial farming and it's from this kind of stuff where they just buy up small farmsteads until they have you know a mile by a mile yeah or half a mile by half a mile and then industrial farm it yeah yeah Times were extremely hard for those left behind during the Great Depression. However, in the 1950s, with the discovery of natural gas and oil, the area again prospered. New farming practices and government programs allowed the inhabitants to recover the land and again grow wheat, sorghum, and cattle. Wheat production in 1960, 4.6 million bushels rose to 6.9 million in 1980 with the county being the state's 10th largest producer. At the turn of the 21st century, Beaver County was one of the state's most prosperous. Although the remaining towns are much smaller than their original sizes, they provide resources for the surrounding area. Beaver, having dropped the city for most usage, is the county seat. The incorporated towns Gate and Forgan have experienced recent upgrades and renovations due to grants. Turpin has grown with people from liberal Kansas and from new settlements lying to the south across the Oklahoma line. Knowles, also incorporated, and Balco have declined significantly, but each has kept a church. Knowles also has a store and a community building. Unincorporated areas of growth exist at Bryan's Corner at the junction of Highway 83 and State Highway 3 and the Ponderosa development north of Turpin. The Beaver County population of 7,411 in 1915 declined to 6,287 in 1970, grew to 6,806 in 1980, fell to 5,857 in 2000, and in 2010 stood at 5,636. The population was approximately 92.8% white, 1.1% American Indian, 0.8% African American, and 0.1% Asian. Hispanic ethnicity was identified at 20%. Transportation arteries provide access to residents of the adjoining states, U.S. Highway 83 and 270, State Highway 23, run north and south through the county. East-west traffic is facilitated by U.S. 64 in the northern section and by U.S. 412, State Highway 3 in the southern. Beaver County hosts two museums that preserve its unique history. In Beaver, the Jones and Plomer Trail Museum commemorates that pathway. The Gate Museum lies on U.S. Highway 64. Citizens remember their heritage every April with the Cimarron Territory Celebration and World Cow Chip Throwing Contest. Yeah! <laughs> you know what a cow chip is, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't we inform our listeners that aren't Oklahomans? <laughs> a cow chip would be cow poo that has been out in the hot Oklahoma sun. And it is hard, and y- you pick it up, and you throw it like Frisbee. About the size of a dinner plate. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and if you're not going to be chunking them like that, they work great to hide Easter eggs under at <laughs> Easter time. Don't they, Chad? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we know from experience. Uh, I remember we were like, I can't fight anymore. They're like, no, nah, there's some out here, and... Sure enough, you flip over the cow patties and there they were. There they were. So then we run around kicking cow patties over trying to find them. <laughs> and you might have found a fresh one. <laughs> <laughs> the state of Oklahoma announced in 2011 that Beaver's Dune Park would be closed at the end of the summer as a budget cutting measure. Lori Anderson of Beaver, Oklahoma, protested to keep it open. The dunes were saved from closure shortly thereafter. On August 15, 2011, the park ownership was formally transferred to the city of Beaver, which to my understanding doesn't even isn't even big enough for like a 
parks and recreation like department. Yeah. But they still maintain it. They still maintain it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the sheriff and all that will patrol it, but it's not... Yeah, there's not really a park ranger or anything like that, which I, I was thinking about because it is the state parks and stuff that yeah. would because we're going to get into the missing persons cases and it would be the state parks that would do those searches. Yeah. And it not being a part of the state park. Maybe some of that stuff doesn't get reported anywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, the, that was pop, popped into my head when I was listening to another podcast earlier. Yeah. If there's nobody who's really got any jurisdiction over <clears throat> it, then maybe yeah, nobody's it doesn't track. go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And that brings us to the paranormal history. Paranormal history for Beaver Dunes Park dates back to the 1500s when three men traveling with the explorer Coronado disappeared from the dunes and bizarre flashes described as green lightning. Green lightning. It's <laughs> electrifying. Oh, <wait. laughs> yeah, electrifying. The natives tried to warn them about the perils of the dunes, claiming they had been avoiding them for hundreds of years. The legend is that they were an ancient burial ground and that the spirits forbid anyone living from crossing. This was also in part due to a portal. The natives who served as guides in this region would not enter the dunes at night. Spanish men traveling with Coronado were all literate and kept extensive journals, but the ones describing these events weren't even found until the late 1900s. (laughs) They described the phenomena as the, quote, work of the devil, unquote. I had nothing to do with it. Which, what, what would that be in Spanish? Diablo something. What's work in Spanish? Trabajar? Yeah. Diablo Diablo Trabajar? The work of the devil. <laughs> Where do you think the devil would work if he was <laughs> in America? Starbucks. The, well, Amazon. The, I, 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 <laughs> Walmart. So I was going to say somewhere in the Oklahoma Panhandle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've definitely been feeling what his anus feels like. <laughs> Luckily, he's going to piss on us tonight, and it's going to cool down a little bit. (laughs) It's hotter Mm. than devil's anus out there. (laughs) Pee on me, devil. (laughs) Oh, we're fucked up. (laughs) And this place has been suspected of a string of disappearances from that fateful expedition. (laughs) Expedition. Expeditions. From that faithful expedition to this very day. But as time went on, less and less of these disappearances have been verified, and none have been proven to have any connection to what is known as Shaman's Portal. Dun, dun, dun. The combination of history, legend, and superstition deter many from straying too far in the dunes or staying there at night. There have been reports from locals that they have encountered military excavation sites carried out under the cover of darkness. Some suspect that an alien spacecraft is buried deep below. All right. There may or may not have been somebody who came forward. that may or may not have admitted to making up the whole Coronado story. Oh, sure, but just because uh, someone uh, comes forward and says, hey, I was the guy on that monkey suit. I come forward and say I'm the devil all the time doesn't True. make it real. <laughs> I'm just going to say that that is out there. It's also easier to come forward than come backwards. Just a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to say... That I don't freaking care. I'm not going to these dunes. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. People who live around there do often talk about the strange lights and stuff that occur. Yeah. yeah. Because along with there being, what, the big city of Beaver with a population of 6,000 people, there is no light pollution up there. So you can see everything in the dark, in the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and if you've never truly experienced a light pollution free, free night, you have no idea what beautiful things you see. Oh yeah. And what really strange (laughs) things you see. Yeah. Cause there's always something up there floating around, moving around, whether it be a satellite or whatnot or a meteor, you know, who knows, but lots of residents report seeing green orbs and that green lightning. Oh yeah. yeah. Not just in Beaver Dunes, but in that whole panhandle area. It's very similar to the reports that you hear from like New Mexico and about all the UFOs and UAPs that people see at night in those areas because they're Mm -hmm. just very dark and you can just see miles and miles and miles. There's something about these like desert areas that are like that as well. Uh, Like a little further west is the... It's the salt plains, mm-hmm. which was also part of the ocean. It's where the salt from that that ancient ocean settled. Yeah, and there's a lot of reports like that there as well. And if you go east, kind of like in the center part of Oklahoma, but in along that same line, yeah, there's also Little Sahara, which is the exact yeah. same thing as Beaver Dunes. It's just a which that's right on the other side of the salt plains, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the salt plains out is between the two dunes. Yeah. But it's the same thing. It's just this patch of sand in the middle of nowhere that looks... You could film a mummy movie there. You know what I mean? That's what it oh, looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, could, you could film <coughs> uh, Tatooine there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. That's one of the really cool things about Oklahoma is the fact that we kind of sit at like a crossroads. So we have a little bit of every single type of what what are the like biome? Ge- like geographic anomalies yeah. and biomes and stuff. We've got the swamps down in the southeast, the mountains in the southeast and the southwest. Well, actually all along the south, because you still have the Arbuckles. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. Arbuckles are technically, they're technically mountains, but they're really just large hills. They're just the oldest mountains. But they're the oldest mountains in the world. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got like little Sahara. You've got the desert out there in the panhandle where you've got Black Mesa. There's also some dino footprints that are preserved out there too. Our kids got to go see those. Yeah. Uh, you've got... Uh, uh, huge sections of the cross timbers. Yeah. And you start getting into the Ozarks up by Tulsa, uh, n- northwest of Tulsa, when you start getting close to Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Like up there by Grand Lake and all that, you start getting into the Ozark Mountains ranges and stuff. Which, which that was part of the reason they chose this region for Indian Territory. Because we have just a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, like the Southwest. And that's, and that's why they split it up the way they did. Like like when they relocated the Seminole, they put them in the Southeast where it's all swampy, mm-hmm. hoping that it was close to what it was back home. Yeah. When, I mean, probably they should have just left them. You know. Back home. United States government doesn't always make the best decisions for us. Uh, the, South, or the Southwest has a lot of like deserty. I don't know. The Southwest of Oklahoma is kind of a mountainous West Texas. Yeah. Whereas like West Texas is flat. It south, Southwestern's pretty darn flat. Yeah. But there are some big mesas and mountain. Well you got yeah, you got the hills. Wichita mountains over yeah. there. But that's where the bison run free was out that way. Yeah. Um but yeah I mean Oklahoma is just really cool with that specific aspect is that really 
unless you get to explore it, you never see it. Because if you're just driving up 35 through Oklahoma, it's pretty flat, boring area. If you're driving east to west, yeah, you're going to kind of go through a little bit of like the t- cross timbers as you come into the state from the east and some of the desert as you go out to the west. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't really get to like see a whole lot of Oklahoma on those two main crossroads. Yeah. So. So basically what Amy's saying is we didn't find a report of missing person one. No. In all of this. There's people who say, you know, my second cousin's best friend's aunt's uncle went missing in the dunes. Yeah. But no direct point reports of it. No missing persons reports of it. I even went through my missing 411 books. No missing people from even the panhandle. Yeah. I scoured around on uh, newspaper sites for uh, Cimarron County and Beaver County. And I didn't come up with anything. I am not going to say that the natives didn't try to warn them about going into the dunes. Yeah, I bet you they did, but I think it's the same kind of thing as they would tell them not to go into the forest because there's a monster that will eat them. Yeah, just kind of like protect their land. <coughs> oh sure, yeah. Um, now there was some story that I heard about a professor from some college in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, I got the details you right do? here. Oh some awesome. Of them. So in the 1990s, this area, due to its reports of unspecified strange findings. You thought I was going to say phenomena. Oh, you got me. already. (laughs) And then I slipped one by you. This attracted the attention of an Oklahoma State University uh, archaeologist by the name of Dr. Mark Thatcher. He spent three years studying the area, collecting geological samples and reported strange anomalies such as ionized soil and electromagnetic interference. This was, of course, until he got too close to the truth and was shut down by men with military credentials who fit the description of the men in black, the notorious MIB. Here come the men in black, galaxy defenders. Um... Sure. But I, I also never, like, because you know me, I scrounge through, like, forums, I look through Facebook posts, and I never saw anybody even talking about sighting UFOs or anything like that in this area. I, I, but that's also because there's a whole uh, lot of posts that just concern the recreational side of it. Yeah. You know, people are like, Posting them in their doom buggies and on their ATVs and pictures galore of that. So From what it's I, probably because that's so saturated that yeah. I couldn't get in deep enough to get to any you, of the... You would think with that many people going out there and doing dune buggy stuff and camping out there and all that, you'd have more reports well, of something. Out of 200 people, if you only have one report... yeah. It's hard to find a 200 to 1 ratio when you're only looking through stuff for a week. I think that... And I had a lot going on this week. A lot of the Beaver Triangle is myth and legend. Sure. But myth and legend can also become reality. Yes. I also think that like the Oklahoma Octopus... Thunderpuss! That alcohol... And late nights partying. Uh, so there's a lot of out <laughs> drinking at like the Little Sahara yeah. and stuff. So I'm sure yeah. Beaver's doing but the same thing. Might play a, a, a part in some sightings. Well, people always say, oh, they were drinking. But last I checked, drinking doesn't cause hallucinations. True. But meth does. And Oklahoma is the meth well, capital of the you world. You didn't say they were out doing <laughs> meth. You said they were out drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in Oklahoma, you don't drink without doing meth. Do your meth. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you gotta chase that meth with that beer. Damn uh, right. Uh, they must be hurting not being able to buy that Bud Light. Um, they can buy it. They just choose not to. <laughs> they put it in koozie so their buddy don't see they're still drinking that Bud Light. <laughs> 
Because I'm sorry. Um, there is no way in hell I would switch from like Bud Light to Natty Light. That's for sure. <laughs> or Keystone or Miller. What's wrong with Natty Light? <laughs> if you like water that's hinted of beer, sure. <laughs> um, but give me a, a Corona or a Amber or something. And I prefer that. Um, I don't know. This is one of those that, like I said, I still don't have any desire to go there. I went. I was supposed to go with a friend back in the day to uh, Little Sahara to go ride dirt bikes and four wheelers and stuff, and ended up not getting to go. But yeah, well, you don't like vehicles where your yeah I don't legs are yeah. exposed. And it's understandable. And in those like Little Sahara, you can't get into the dunes unless you're you have some kind of ATV. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you're not even you you're not even supposed to. You, they do. You're not supposed to get out and walk around. Yeah, if someone tops a hill and you're standing there, they can't stop. Yeah, and I'm sure the same goes for uh, Beaver now, Dunes. Now, it's my understanding, close by there's a lot of rock crags and stuff where you can go hiking and things. Yeah, and that was something that uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to about it talked about was like. Maybe people go missing in the caves and the caverns that are around the dunes. Oh, yeah. Oh, probably, yeah. But nobody actually... like. It's not like the dunes open up. Because I know when I first yeah, heard... I, I mean, now we're just getting semantic because yeah. it's like, well, Beaver Dunes State Park is technically just the sand and people are going missing over in the caves. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, <laughs> but, but again, we didn't find any reports of... Even people yeah. missing in the county other than yeah. like Amber Alerts where, you know, people would take their own children and stuff like that. I just know when I first heard about this, my mind pictured Beetlejuice and the sandworms like, coming <laughs> oh. up and taking people. And I was sitting there thinking, yeah, if I were to die and I were to try to escape my, you know, prison of my home. Yeah. I could see my punishment being panhandle. <laughs> but, but you did bring up a good point, because it's like, what if something like that does happen? Not specifically a worm comes up. <laughs> but let's say a loved one goes missing while you're out there. Who are you going to go tell? The sheriff? Yeah. Then you got to rely on the sheriff to tell the newspaper? He yeah. going to do that. <laughs> are you going to rely on the newspaper to go talk to the yeah, sheriff? See, that's why I was saying, so, because there is nobody there to regulate it. Yeah, this shit could be yeah. happening, and they just never tell anybody. Yeah, and it... it I mean, it never, I mean, they make it sound like it does. Because I'm going to bet you that a big portion of Beaver's income is tourists to the dunes and to all the other little things yeah. out in that area. So oh, the last yeah. thing they're going to want to do is report these things that might scare people away from coming. And that's why I find it really interesting that the locals talk about this stuff, but you don't find it anywhere. Yeah. But like yeah. everybody who lives up in that area has heard the stories about people that go missing from the dunes. Yeah. Sure. But I'd never even until somebody sent me a video on it, never knew anything about people that went missing up there. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. You know, but it's probably the same too as like all the dead bodies that are found in Thunderbird, they probably don't hear about up there either. But you know, yeah, yeah. Or like the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. When we covered the Bennington Triangle, it was an area that's known for disappearances. And we only found five in, what, 120 years? Yeah. But, I mean, how many more were there that we didn't find, you know? It's like these missing 411 books. Most of what he relies on is newspaper reports. Yeah. And if it's never in the newspaper... Then he never reports yeah, on say, it. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the chance that, you know, someone goes out to Beaver's Dune by themselves and then just never returns. Yeah. But no one's there to say, oh, this green light showed and en engulfed him and he disappeared. Yeah. And, and yeah. people may not know exactly that's where they were going. So there may be a missing persons thing out for somebody who's disappeared there. But yeah, no one knows that's where it was. and. And there's no reports. And I do want to visit the panhandle of Oklahoma. Because like I said, I've never been there. But the dunes is not one of the top places on my list. I'd like visit. just to go see it. Like drive by, close by, <laughs> where you can see all the big sand dunes and stuff. But 
the kids got to see some really cool stuff. Also up that way, there's places where you can dig for um, crystals. As uh, oh, so, uh, selenite crystals. Yeah, selenite crystals and stuff. Yeah. Um, in Oklahoma, our selenite is different. It's I don't know, probably the color of a rose rock. Yeah. Yeah. I've got I've got some pieces that the kids brought me back. All our minerals have like red dirt mixed in them. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think that's another really interesting thing about these dunes because these sand dunes are sand. Yeah. And well, th- there's no red hint to them, whereas all of our other dirt is red. Now, rose rocks form in other parts of the world. They're just not red like ours. Yeah, they're usually either brown or white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I know I looked it up recently. I want to say in parts of Africa... And in Oklahoma. Yeah. And maybe like an area in Australia, I want to say. Maybe. I know um, Hawaii also has our red soil. There's a lot of iron well, rich soil in Hawaii too. Because it take, might have it. It takes specific, like a geological history to form yeah. what is known as a rose rock. I never th- knew how like cool it was. Rose rocks actually were because we grew up with them constantly. They were yeah. actually more of a nuisance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because they work their way up out of the ground, and then they get up in your mower, and you shoot them through windows. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many windows we'd have to replace because Dad would hit a rose rock and yeah. <laughs> go right through the window. Yeah, it's it's a unique, uh, it's a unique mineral formation. Yeah, and they only grow in certain areas here. Yeah, like East Norman, you can find tons of them. East Noble, you find tons of them. Noble has the Rose Rock Museum. Yeah. Yeah, They're known as the Rose Rock capital of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I saw one in Noble that it was about six feet tall mm-hmm. and about four feet long. I was like, that's a hell of a Rose Rock. Yeah. <laughs> your mower ain't going to hit that one. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the mower, hits that, your mower's dead. <laughs> yeah, and that was another thing, too, is I remember Dad having to replace blade, blades constantly because of yeah. all the Rose Rocks. But yeah, Oklahoma has some pretty cool geography about it. Yeah, it's one of the st- one state that literally has just about every geographical yeah like feature feature of yeah. all over the world. Yeah, we got mountains, we got waterfalls, we got deserts, we got swamps, we have hills. Yep, the hills are alive with the sounds of hillbillies. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's rednecks here. I mean, I know it also a lot of it had to do with the sea that was here helped form yeah. them. Well, and that's one of the cool things here, too, is that you can walk around in Oklahoma. You can pick up a rock and you're going to you're you could possibly find a fossil, a fossil of a, some kind of sea life in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. finding one when I was a kid that had the I don't know what they're called. A little crustacean thing. It's like the. Like the roly-poly thing? Yeah. The isopods? Isopods, yeah. I remember finding one of those when I was a kid. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got one somewhere. It usually sits up here somewhere. But, yeah, that had some little crustaceans in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. I mean, I had a dream one time that we were going down to Lawton cause to go to the beach. <laughs> and I would... I'd be fine if Lawton became a beach. Yeah. It's a lot shorter of a drive than... Galveston or yeah. Now <laughs> I was talking with Jack Campbell, and he was saying where he's from in Lawrence, it was part of that, part of that big sea as well. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen like a projected map of how big it was. Well, I know it went down to Sulphur. Yeah, because the Arbuckle yeah. Mountains is where we found all of our our yeah yeah the fossils. Arbuckle Mountains were yeah. the southern point of it. Yeah. But I don't know how far north it stretched. Yeah. I know at least to Lawrence, Kansas, because we were talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty big, pretty big little sea there. Oh yeah, it was a huge ancient. It was a capital sea. It was like a shallow <laughs> sea, is what they described it as. <laughs> shallow sea and beaver. <laughs> <laughs> Most of Oklahoma. <laughs> you gotta be careful. Can't have a deep sea in the beaver. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Neutral strip, <laughs> no man's land. Beaver Triangle. So I mean, 
there could be something there. I'm not. There's not enough evidence for me to go one way or the other. There's yeah. really not any evidence. Other I mean, than word of mouth. It's kind of suspect that that particular journal of Coordinado wasn't found until then. But I mean, look how long the Nag Hammadi Library sat in a cave until it was discovered in 1950. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just stuff like, I mean, how often do we find, like, old journals of, like, George Washington's or Thomas Jefferson's yeah. that and people didn't know existed? They were just sitting somewhere in the Library of Congress. Yeah. I'm not going to say weird things didn't don't happen there because, and they happen everywhere. Yeah. And it would make sense for some place that's kind of remote in the dunes and stuff for things to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, with the population of only 6,000 people. Yeah. And the entire county, yeah. there's not a lot of eyes to see things. Yeah. <clears throat> but I don't know. It's interesting. I guess that I want to visit the Panhandle. We were going to go in 2020. We were. And then COVID hit the week we were getting ready to leave. <laughs> so we had to cancel our plans. I don't miss the people dying or the, the illness, but... I do miss the excuse to stay home and not have to do anything. <laughs> uh, lockdown was an introvert's dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That just let me to play video games all day. Yeah. I miss the kindness and patience people had for each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the grace people showed each other during that time. Well, let me tell you, with this heat we've been having, any any bit of kindness that people had is out the window. Was it, there's a, I guess Walmart now says a cake says sorry for the things I said when it was 109 yeah, I saw outside. It's <laughs> <laughs> like so I'm gonna start buying those and just handing them out to people. Sorry. When my sorry. week starts out with an empty fucks jar, yeah, it makes for a long week. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm on crazy meds, it's not that I don't ha- give fucks. I don't. Not that I don't have fucks to give. I have them. I just don't care enough to give. <laughs> <laughs> I'm storing up the fucks right now. They're welcome, all for me. <laughs> welcome to the world of the crazy pill, Chad. Yay! I'm, I'm normal again. Very proud. And of I'm you. not even done with. I'm not even going to take my second one. Very yet. proud of you for taking control of your mental health. I don't know why you keep putting your health. hand down. I keep giving you high fives. I'm giving you energy, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept giving you high fives. Like okay. I'm very proud of you for taking control of your mental health. Thank you. It's very important. Absolutely. So. Anybody out there who's struggling, Chad and I both. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get that help. Nobody's going to judge you. You're going to judge yourself harder than anybody else. And trust me, when you get the medicine and you start taking it, you don't even judge yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, everything just kind of rolls off your shoulders. You're just like, eh. What normally, like yesterday at work, would have probably thrown me over the edge before. That was fine. It's actually a pretty fun day. Yeah. Just the two of you. The two of you. <laughs> Just the two of you. The two of us most of the day. <laughs> uh, there was the one moment that I fell asleep and I thought I was asleep for at least 30 <laughs> minutes and it had only been like five minutes and I was like, what the fuck? This day is going so slow. <laughs> we didn't get a lot of people coming in until it was time for me to you know, ring out the register and clo- start closing up. Well, and then, we got, then we got a mad rush. But yeah. <laughs> And they're all hurrying in to get there before you close. Yeah. But I think we have explored the dunes. We have discussed. I have explored the beaver. You have explored the beaver, Chad. The three of us have explored <laughs> the beaver, the beaver triangle. And I wasn't as super impressed. It has a cool history. It does have yeah. a cool history. I still think something's probably, like I said, something's happened there. To at least Something's give the ideas of this out there. Yeah. But. I'm surprised there's no legends about treasure or anything. Especially the, with I all did the outlaws hear. And I heard that Coronado's treasure was there. Oh, really? Yes, I did I hear I say that on um, Destination Truth, I believe, they, there's one, because they're in Oklahoma like every season of that show, mm-hmm. looking up outlaw treasure and stuff. But I want to say they were in the dunes at one point. I well, couldn't tell you cool. which dunes they were at, but we had so many outlaws come through Oklahoma at some well, point they in time. Stayed in Oklahoma because yeah. it was no man's yeah, land. Yeah, it was no man's land, so they there's no law. Yeah, 
Yeah. They'd run from Kansas or from Texas and hide in Oklahoma. It's kind of like the Blues Brothers treasure that they supposedly buried yeah. by the, where the lake is now. I mean, who knows? There could be treasure out in them dunes. Be yeah. easy enough to bury it. I would think it would uncover s- at some point. Yeah. But and this was also a place where regions had vastly different laws as well. Yeah. And a lot of them were based upon religion and so I get it. Yeah. You wanted by the Mennonites because you know you weren't you were caught not wearing a vest or something and then <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The way you wanted by the Mennonites for being a Hermonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then you're wanted by the state of Texas for I don't know. Uh, Being smart. Yeah. You wanted from Kansas because you took guns into the town. Yeah, yeah. Because Kansas had that... No guns guns in in town town rules. Dodge City, at least. Yeah. I don't know if it was statewide, but... Welcome to Dodge City. The Wild West. Well, 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 thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. Again, thank you, Sherry, for the coffee. Thank you. Yeah. It literally made my week. Yep. I was like, it oh. Did. Made mine, too. And if you want to leave us a co- or buy us a coffee, you can go to our link in the description of the show and buy us a coffee because we love coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Um. You can also join our Patreon, patreon.com slash umpnormalcy. There also will be a link in the description for One Nation Montauk. Again, if you want to help donate to the Montauk tribe to get their tribe reinstated as a tribe and maybe eventually get some of their land back. That link is in the description of the show. Along with my Etsy store and a bunch of other links for a bunch of other stuff. All of the Green Mushroom podcast shows are on there. And that's going to do it for tonight. So until next time. Keep digging. Unearth the Paradoxy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just